We have been looking at this passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and talking about the five giants that we have to deal with in our lives, particularly as men, but ladies as well. But there are, there are five giants that all of us have to deal with along the way. And each of them are represented by one of these giants that David had to face. We looked several weeks ago at the first giant, the giant of lust, and then we began to look at the giant of pride, and we're going to kind of finish up on that tonight. We talked about the uh, various things in our life that, that show that we are prideful, and I'll review them for you just a, for just a moment, and then we'll get move on to where we are for tonight. But uh, you have an insert in your bulletin if you would like to take uh, follow along with the notes there and uh, be a part of that. I don't know, guys, do we have any extra of those that are available? All right, Brother Skip's got some. If you need one, wave at us and we'll get one for you. And, and uh, the guys will just take those and help you out in that way for tonight. The passage of Scripture begins in verse 15. It says, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Remember that the Christian life is a battle. And we are at war with the enemy. Of course, the enemy is the devil, but he's manifested in different ways. And here, the Philistines had war again. Just because you win one battle doesn't mean the war's over. We have oftentimes war again. We have other battles that come. And David went down with his and his servants with him, and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. And Ishbibanab, which was of the sons of the giant, the giant Goliath, literally means lust, and Ishbibanab represents the giant of pride. And it says the weight of his spear weighed 300 shekels, that's about 11 pounds of brass in weight. He, being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. Now, this giant of, plot of pride will slay us if we allow it to. And sometimes, and in this particular case, the giant thought to have slain David. Thankfully, he did not. David had some men that helped him, and sometimes we need help with the giants that we have to face from time to time in our lives as Christians. But we talked about there at the first part of your, of your worksheet, what is pride, number one? And there are several things. I'm just going to read through these real quick, and we'll pick up... In, in the second thing, and that is 10 vital steps to conquer pride. How are we going to conquer pride? We said, first of all, pride is reserving for myself the right to make final decisions. Reserving for myself. Who should make the final decisions in our life? God should, right? The Lord should. Secondly, pride is making myself equal with God in my heart. It's making myself equal with God. And, of course, we know that God doesn't want us on the throne. He's to be on the throne. We're to seek first the kingdom of God. Thirdly, pride is boasting about my abilities and achievements. All the abilities and achievements we have have come from God, and so we really don't have anything to boast about. It's God that's given them to us, and we're thankful for that. And then letter D, pride is believing that I am better than other people. Always be careful when you start thinking you're better than someone else. Amen? That's a sign of pride in our life. The next one, pride is rejoicing when my enemy is in trouble. Now, there are times when our enemies need to be in trouble, but we're not to rejoice in it, because if we do, then God may take away whatever he's dealing with them. The next one, pride is finding faults in others. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to look and see the faults in somebody else and not see the faults in our own 
lives. And the Lord talked about trying to get the beam out of somebody else's eye when we, or, the, or the, the speck out of somebody else's eye when we have a beam in our own eye. Next, pride is harshly judging others for faults that we also have. Sometimes we see in others the very faults that we have and we tend to be judgmental of them. Pride is more concerned with what people think of me than what God thinks of me. Obviously, we all know we ought to be more concerned about what God thinks. And then pride is failing to keep God in all my thoughts. Failing to keep God in all my thoughts. The Bible says we're to bring every thought into captivity. And then pride is quick to argue about my conclusions and opinions. Isn't it interesting how we can argue, you know, I am right, (laughs) and take up our side, obviously, and argue about things. And then pride will not permit me to admit when I am wrong. One of the most important things for us to learn to be able to say is, I am sorry, I was wrong. And all of us have had to say that sometimes, haven't we? We've been wrong. And then pride is being ungrateful for all the things that God and others do for me. Ungratefulness, unthankful. We have to be on guard for that. And then pride reacts to rules, regulations, and limitations. The reason pride reacts is because we don't want anybody else telling us what, we, what we're to do. We want to be the boss in pride. We want to be the one in charge and in control. And then pride does not want to admit the need for help. We men especially struggle with this. You know, we think we can work it out. We somehow can figure it out. Who needs instructions, directions? We can work it out somehow. Sometimes we need help, don't we? And David needed help in this particular passage of Scripture. And then the last one, pride wants to control the lives of others. Watch out for a person who wants to control the lives of others. You can mark it down. That's a prideful person. Now, with all of that said, we come to tonight the ten vital steps to conquer pride. How do we conquer this giant of pride that we face in our lives? Conquering the giant of pride... I think all of us would agree, is not an easy task, is it? It's not easy to to deal with that. In fact, it's a battle that we face over and over and over again. David could not kill this giant, Ishbibanah, by himself. He needed help. This giant, it tells us, had a huge spear, and he also had a, a, a new sword. One of David's warriors had to step in and rescue David. He had to have help. The battle was so vicious and overpowering that David's men, from then on, would not let David go back out to war with them. Look at verse number 17. It says, But Ishbibanab, the son of Zariah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. In other words, they were saying, David, you're important to us as the king, We're not going to let you go out to battle and and get killed, get defeated, get destroyed. And so they wouldn't let him go. This was a vicious battle. And many times we need the help of others. Just as David could not conquer the giant of pride alone, we cannot conquer the giant of pride alone in our lives, and we need the help of other people. The primary reason for this is that a proud person really doesn't think that he's proud. He doesn't want to admit it. We need God, and we need faithful friends in our lives who will be willing sometimes to point out our pride and help us to defeat it. So how are we going to defeat this giant of pride? How are we going to conquer it? Several things. First of all, ask God to create a clean heart and renew a right spirit in you. Ask God to create a clean heart. That's what David said in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart. 
pride originates in the heart of a person. And it comes out of our mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says, the mouth speaketh. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 14.3 says, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. You see, every one of us are born with four basic fears in our life. First of all, there's the fear of rejection. And then there's the fear of failure. And then there's the fear of poverty. And then we have the fear of pain and death. And our natural inclination is that we must build ourselves up in the eyes of other people. And if we build ourselves up, then we feel like we won't experience this rejection and failure and poverty. And all of that comes from that deep-seated root of pride in our life. Proverbs 14 and verse 12, a verse that's repeated twice in the Proverbs. It says, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, and the end thereof are the ways of death. The way that seems right to us, God says, is the way of death. When David sinned, again in Psalm 51 and verse 10, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So first of all, if I'm going to conquer pride, I need to ask God to create a clean heart in me and renew a right spirit in me. Secondly, we need to transform the source of pride with night meditation. Transform the source of pride with night meditation. Psalm 15:2, God requires that we speak the truth in our heart. The truth in our heart must come from our reins, the Bible talks about. When he uses the word rain, it talks about our, it's kind of our innermost being. It's kind of, you might say, almost like our gut brain. Psalm 16, 7 says, My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. There's only one way to cleanse and transform our reins, and that is through memorizing the Word of God and then quoting it back to God as we meditate on it through the day. At night when we go to bed, go to sleep, quote the Word of God back to Him as we go to sleep. During the night, those verses go into our innermost being, into our reins, and instruct our heart. It's interesting how the Bible differentiates between the brain and the heart and the reins. There's a difference in all of them. Jesus said in John 15, 3, Now ye are, are ye clean through thy word which I have spoken unto you. He prayed in John 17 and verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Paul begs believers and Christians in Colossians 3.16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do we do that? We memorize God's word and we get it into our mind. And then we meditate upon it. We get it into our heart and into our, into our reins. God's word transforms the fears in our reins. The very fear that causes us to be prideful. Here's some key verses that you can memorize and meditate on if you're dealing with this matter of pride. You may want to jot these down. Proverbs 22 and verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. By humility and the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 13.10 is another one. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised wisdom. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12 is another. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, 
and giveth grace to the whom? Humble. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? God says, when I'm prideful, I'm an abomination. That means God hates it exceedingly. It's an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Those are some verses that we can meditate on, memorize, build into our minds, into our hearts, into our reins, that will help us to have victory over pride in our life. And then thirdly, humble your soul with a three-day fast. Now, some of you right away say, okay, preacher, you lost me here. I'm with you until you get to talk about fasting. Well, fasting is an important discipline in our lives. And most people today, the word fasting is a it, it, fast, F-A-S-T. It's a bad four-letter word to a lot of people. But it's not. It's a good four-letter word. And you may start out with fasting a meal. You may then go to fasting a day, and then two days, then three days. But what are we doing when we fast? You never will be able to humble yourself before people until you learn to humble yourself before God. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, he says, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. David oftentimes in the Old Testament used fasting to humble himself before God. In Psalm 35 and verse 13, he said, I humbled my soul with fasting. When God pronounced judgment on King Ahab in, in 1 Kings chapter 21, listen to what verse 27 says. It says, when Ahab heard these words, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. In verse 29, the Lord said, see how Ahab humbleth himself before me. God acknowledged, even this wicked king Ahab, when he fasted and humbled himself before God, God took notice of it. Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 18, he said that when we fast, we're to appear not before men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So in other, in other words, fasting is not making a big show of it. It's privately, it's secretly before God. And God says when we do it secretly, He'll reward us openly. During our fasting days or times, those are times when we can read and memorize large portions of the Word of God. Read it and then choose certain verses that God speaks to your heart about and memorize them. Write down those key verses and pray them back to God. Read biographies while you're fasting of great men of God and great women of God. Men like John Wesley and Charles Finney and, and, and uh, George Mueller. And there are many others that you can read. This will encourage you. And while you're doing all of that, ask the Lord to help you to examine your heart for pride. And then fourthly, ask your family and friends to point out your blind spots. Now this is a dangerous thing to do. But if you're going to have victory over pride, you may need to ask your closest friends to help you to point out your blind spots. A blind spot is a thought, or a fault rather, in our words, our attitudes, or our actions that is so entrenched in us that we cannot see it ourselves. We're blind to it. 
we don't see it. Have you ever seen somebody just really struggled with something they weren't even aware of, but you, I mean, it was just a neon light flashing to you. And you sometimes would think, boy, I wish somebody would just talk to them. Well, maybe you are the someone that should. But we, if we're going to humble ourselves before the Lord, sometimes we need to ask, be willing to ask others, would you be kind enough and be gentle as you do it <laughs> to point out the blind spots, to help me to see the blind spots? Well, people all around us see them, and many times they react to them. You'll be surprised what you will learn by asking other people to help you with this. You have to assure them that they that you will not react to what they observe in your life. When you ask somebody to show you the blind spots, don't get upset when they tell you. Listen to them humbly and quietly, and then go before the Lord and talk to the Lord about it. Proverbs 16 verse 2 says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. God knows what's in our heart, doesn't he? Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes a good friend will take a chance on telling us. I remember some years ago, there was a man in our church, he's moved, moved out, of, out of state now, but he got upset with me because he didn't get to sing a lot. He liked to sing and he didn't... And so finally one day, I mean, he, we went on and on with this and round and round with it. And finally one day I sat down with him as his pastor and as a friend. And I said to him, I said, you have a, you have a good voice. It ought to be cultivated. It ought to be plowed under. No, that's not what I said to him. <laughs> I said, you have a good voice for singing in a group but you do not have a good voice for solos. And I went on to say, you know, I said, as a friend, I say that to you. I said, sometimes we have friends who are around us all the time, and they just have bad breath. Anybody have? Don't raise your hand. Uh, you, you know, you offer them a mint, and you say, have a mint. And they said, no, thank you, I don't need one. And you want to say, please, take a mint, you know, help me out here. And I kind of went through a little scenario like that with him to help him to understand, as your friend I'm trying to, he got very upset. He didn't take it very kindly. If you're going to ask people to show you the blind spots, be willing to humble yourself and accept what they say kindly, and then go talk to the Lord about it. I like what Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. A true friend can sit down and talk to you about a blind spot and help you with it if you'll let them. And then next, develop a grateful spirit with thankfulness and generosity. Develop a grateful spirit. You see, pride is the opposite of being grateful, isn't it? Pride is thinking we deserve whatever people do for us. It's thinking that, that they need to do those things, but gratefulness says, hey, I don't deserve that. I'm grateful for anything and everything. You ought to begin by taking, just sit down and make a list sometime of all the people over the years that have helped you in your life, helped you along the way, beginning with your parents and other family members, and then perhaps some teachers that have been a great help to you and blessing. Maybe somebody you work with, maybe some friends. Just make a list of people. People that have helped you and encouraged you. 
maybe financial, maybe emotional, maybe spiritual, but they've helped you along the way. Paul speaks of this when he told the Gentile believers to give to the needs of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 14, he said, but by an equality, that now at this time our abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply of your want, that there may be equality. Sometimes God uses other people to be a blessing to us and to help us. And God said one of the reasons He allows that is because there may be a time later in their life when they need you to be a help to them and a blessing to them and an encouragement to them. Sometimes we need to just take a little bit of time to make a personal visit to somebody and say, hey, I just want to thank you for the input you've had in my life, how you've encouraged me and and how you've blessed me, so that as you talk with them and visit with them, you can become aware of any needs that they have in their life that perhaps you can be a help to them. If you can't go see them, call them on the phone. Talk to them on the phone. If you can't do that, write them a letter. I had a man who was my Sunday school teacher when I was a senior in, in my high school days. I think it was probably junior, senior uh, years in high school. He was the most boring Sunday school teacher I ever had in my life. But he had a big impact on my life. And he was there, and he was faithful, and God used him. And, uh, and many years later, he had moved away to another state. And I sat down one day and just wrote him a note and thanked him for the input that he had had in my life. If nothing else, his faithfulness was a great encouragement to me. And there were other things as well. But there may be people that have helped you along the way, have been at a special time in your, or a difficult time or a, or a crisis in your life who have helped you. Be grateful. Develop a grateful spirit and express your thankfulness. And when you can, be generous in helping them when they're going through their needs. And then next, be quick to admit when you are wrong. Be quick to admit when you are wrong. This is one of the most powerful ways to conquer pride. I think we'll agree we all make mistakes, don't we? Every single one of us. Our natural inclination is not to admit that we're wrong. It's to cover them up or it's to try to explain them away or blame them on somebody else. That's what our society does today, doesn't it? Blame it on somebody else. Explain it away. But true humility admits when we are are wrong. We oftentimes believe that if we admit that we're wrong, then people are going to think less of us. And actually, the opposite is true. When we acknowledge that we were wrong and we ask forgiveness of those that we have harmed, people then think more highly of us, not less of us. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 33 says this. It says, before honor is humility. Humility. A wise person will learn from his mistakes. He'll be willing to admit his mistakes. So when we are wrong, we should find out why we were wrong, and then we can thank those that helped us to understand our mistakes. Thank them that helped us to see why we were wrong and where we were wrong. Be quick to admit when you are wrong. And then next, deflect praise to God and to others. Deflect praise to God and others. When others praise you for your achievements or for some good work that you did for them, we have to be prepared uh, for our response to them. Our response could be something like this. Somebody praises you, could say, well, I, never, I could have never done that without the help of so-and-so. 
deflect the praise. Somebody else helped me to be able to do that. Or we could say something like this, the one to thank is the Lord because He has enabled me to do that, whatever it was that you did. This is consistent with the command that the Lord gave to us in Matthew 5, verse 16. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father, which is in heaven. When others praise us, we deflect that praise to God and to others. If we accept the praise of people without deflecting it, we cause those that were helped to resent us. And we don't give them the proper recognition, those that have helped us, and so they resent us because we've taken the recognition for ourselves. Deflect praise to God and others. And then next, never speak evil of another person. I wish every Christian would make that commitment in their life. I will never speak evil of another person. Did you know that's a direct command from God? God commands you and me to never speak evil of another person. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. That's a command from God. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgeth another? God also warns us in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 18. He says, He that uttereth a slander is a fool. A slander. Evil speaking of other people. God said, when I slander somebody else, I'm a fool. You know what the word, the, 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 the form of the word slander is the word scandal. The Greek meaning of the word scandal is a trap with a spring action. I wonder how many times people have been slandered somebody else and they've been caught and trapped in their own words and can't get free. You have a number of examples in the Bible. We, many of you remember the story of Haman who built the gallows for, for Mordecai and ended up, he was the one that was hung on those very gallows. And so we have to be careful as, as God's people not to speak evil of others. You know, if you always tell the truth, and you're always kind, you don't ever have to worry about forgetting what you said. Amen? Speak the truth in love, the Bible says. Be kind. Don't speak evil. Don't slander. Matthew chapter 12, verse 37 says, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And the very people that we speak evil of may be the very ones who come back and say, you said, and your own words come back to haunt you. And then honor those who are in authority over you. Honor those, we're humbling ourselves, we're talking about overcoming pride, we do that by honoring those who have authority over us. Many times, and again, in our world and in our society today, we don't want to have authority over us. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. That in itself is a form of pride. God has designed and planned the various authorities, and submission to God-given authority is God's way to develop proper humility and to help us to uh, maintain a civil society in which we live. By honoring those that are in authority, we honor God, because authority comes from God. 
And he is the one who places people in the positions of authority over us. We should also honor those who are older than us. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. He says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. We have respect. We honor those who are in authority. We honor those who are older in age. There's several ways to honor our authority, and there's several ways that we can honor older people. The first and most important way is to pray for them. We want to pray for our public officials. Pray for those that are in authority over you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercession, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. And verse 2 says, for kings, for all that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Sometimes I don't like the authorities. Sometimes I don't like the leaders in our country and in our nation, but God still says I have a responsibility to pray for them. Why am I supposed to pray for them? God says so that I can have a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We should pray that God will give them and their families wisdom, and God will give them understanding and success and protection. It's a good idea for you to write some letters or talk to some people who are in positions of authority and just simply ask them, what can I pray for, about for you? You know what? Those in authority have the same problems we do. They struggle with problems, financial problems. They struggle with rebellious children in their home. They struggle with sickness and, and illness and diseases. They have the same problems that we do. And so I ask those that are in authority, what can I pray for uh, or pray about for you? And then do this, ask them. Say, I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to tell me when God answers my prayer. You'll be amazed how they will begin to see God work in their life and you can build a, or a, a rapport with them, and you can have an influence on their lives. And so God says to us, we're to pray. He says, first of all, supplication. But that wasn't enough. He added prayer. That still wasn't enough. He said intercession. And then he says, and giving thanks. Be made for all men. God says, I'm to give thanks for them. Why? This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Pray for them. When our kids, when we homeschooled in the earlier years as they were growing up, we wrote letters. We lived in for a while in the house next door over here. We wrote letters to the, to the uh, police officers in Lakeside Park and thanked them for the services that they were doing for our community. We wrote letters to some of the, the, the um, political leaders in our community. I remember one time we were traveling to Indianapolis and we were coming back and there was a Stopped at a McDonald's, I forget what exit it is, but there's a, I think it's an army reserve there. If you're coming south, it's on the left, going north is on the right. And we were in McDonald's, and in came several of the guys who, who were military guys. And our kids went over and thanked them for their service and talked with them for a few minutes. And each of the guys took a little pin, some, I, I can't remember what pin it was, but they took a pin, each of them, off of their uniforms and gave it to our kids and thanked them for just stopping and letting them know they appreciate them. 
you know, we can make a difference and we can humble ourselves and say, I'm praying for you. Doesn't mean I agree with them. Doesn't mean I approve everything, but I can pray for them. Amen? Pray for them to get saved. Amen? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Pray for their families. Pray for their safety. That God will bless and God will help them. We should pray that God will give them wisdom. That God will help them to understand what true success is. And be grateful. You know the first commandment with promise in the Bible is in Ephesians chapter 6. The command's given back in Exodus. But in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother. And it goes on to say, this is the first command with promise. Promise is God will give us long life. Honor your father and mother, the elderly. God commands in Leviticus 19.32, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man. That's not talking about your father, old man, but the older man. And fear thy God. I am the Lord. Honor your parents. Honor the older people. You know, God said this is the first commandment with promise. I'm convinced one of the reasons why a lot of people have problems in life is because they have not honored their father and mother. Honor them. So, well, they're gone. You can still honor them. Take time to do that. And then next, look for ways to serve others so that God gets the glory. Look for ways that you can serve others. It's not wrong to strive for greatness, but we're to achieve it God's way and not our way. When the disciples uh, argued about who would be the greatest in the kingdom, you know what Jesus told them? He said, He that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Look for ways to serve other people. Our young people, and the, young, the teenagers particularly, have this mentality that we were put on earth to serve them. Young people, God put you on earth to serve others. Older folks, God put us on earth to serve others. And He said, you want to be greatest among my kingdom? You be a servant. We're to serve others with good works. God created us to carry out good works. In fact, He said in Ephesians 2 verse 10, He said, for ye are, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God commands us to do good works. I quoted the verse a while ago, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let me say this in closing. We can deny pride, but you cannot hide it. You can deny it. You can say, I'm not prideful. Just the fact that you said that is a good indication that you are prideful. You can deny it, but you can't hide it. If we have a prideful heart, all the people around us will sense it, and they will react to it. This reaction will bring about the guaranteed destruction that God warns us about. He says in Proverbs 11:2, "When pride cometh, then cometh shame." In Proverbs 16, verse 18, "Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall." And again, Proverbs 29:23 says, "A man's pride shall bring him low." Either we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Or God will use other people and destructive circumstances to do it for us. We have the option. We can humble ourselves, or God will use other people and destructive circumstances to do it for us. Humble yourselves before the 
mighty hand of God. Do you have a prideful spirit tonight? Most of us would say, no, not me. Well, let me ask you and just remind you of a couple of things. Do we have a grateful spirit? Are we thankful? Do we express our appreciation to other people? Are you quick to admit you're wrong? I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with that. And the Lord just kind of prompts me, you know, you've got to admit you're wrong. And, and sometimes we fight against that. And all right, okay, I was wrong. Or we usually say, I was wrong. What did you say? I, I, I was wrong. I didn't hear you. I was wrong. <laughs> it's hard for us to say it, isn't it? Do we deflect praise to God and others? When others compliment us, do we deflect that praise? Do we speak evil of other people? Have you said anything evil about somebody else today? God commands that we not do that. Do you honor those that are in authority over you? Do you pray for them? Do we look for ways to serve others in such a way that God gets the glory from it? The giant of pride will slay us Sometimes we need the help of others to have victory and to conquer it, just like David did. May God help us. It's a continual battle. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again. You're going to have war again. You're going to struggle with this giant of pride over and over and over again. We need God's help. And He will help us if we'll ask Him and we'll let Him. Let's pray together.